Welcome to the Creative Success Podcast. I'm your host, Joe High. This is the show for listeners who are interested in adding something to their lives in new and creative ways to inspire you to think differently and outside the box. Today's guest is photographer, artist, and author, Sean Tucker. After leaving the church, Sean pursued being an artist. He built a business around his photography, doing portraiture and street photography. He also started a successful YouTube channel, and most recently he wrote his book, The Meaning in the Making, which is an excellent read on a philosophical look at how to live a more creative life. In this episode, we talk about staying inspired, making mental space for creativity to flourish, and Sean even challenges my own beliefs on the separation between creativity and productivity. Honestly, my mind is still swimming after the discussion with Sean, and I believe you will really enjoy this episode. So without further ado, let's get into the next story in the Creative Success Podcast. Well, it is my pleasure on this show to introduce Mr. Sean Tucker. Sean, welcome to the Creative Success Podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Pleasure is mine. Thank you for making the time. I know this is a this is a brand new endeavor, so you're really doing us a favor by uh, being one of the initial guests here. <laughs> no worries. So, Sean, for the people who have yet to learn much about you, in means of introduction, how would you describe yourself and the lifestyle and the job that you're currently in? <laughs> um, uh, right now, I uh, I work for myself. And my time is kind of split into a few different avenues. So I, I produce videos which go onto a YouTube channel that talk about photography specifically and creativity more generally, I suppose. And that takes up part of my time. The other is doing my own photography work and projects, which goes out as books each year. And I do the odd bit of client work now and again, although most of it I do tend to turn down now to sort of protect time for, for my own projects because doing client work is, is not as essential as it used to be. I can sort of keep my head above water with the other things. And then uh, in the last year, I've also released a, a published book on creativity as well. So there was the writing aspect that took up a big chunk of time as well. So I guess the short answer is an all-round creative person, photographer, filmmaker, author, um, and time gets split between those depending on, you know, what's essential, what's what's pressing on any given week. So it might be difficult to nail down with one word, you know, oh, I'm a photographer, I'm a YouTuber, I'm a writer. Yeah, and I mean, I've never really, I kind of like that, you know, it's that it's that jack of all trades idea. I like yeah. the fact that I've, I used to do a lot of other creative things too, you know, I, I was a musician in my 20s and that was part of it too. And, you know, I've done other sorts of writing along the years. And, you know, there's been lots of little things. I, I like the fact that I get to make a living out of a mix of different creative outlets so I don't have to just lean on the one. And it means I get to give my time to different things as well, which I suppose keeps you inspired and from getting bored with just, you know, doing something that becomes repetitive. So yeah. it's a choice for sure. Um, it might mean that I'm not as strong on any one of those as I might be if I just dedicated all my time and focus to one thing in particular, but I'm all right with that. You know, I'd, I'd rather be a bit more of a creative generalist that's good at a bunch of things instead of brilliant at one thing. Well, that's exactly why I'm talking to you today and to people like you, because I wanted to interview people who had made that kind of a choice to do something outside the norm and that is maybe even more difficult to define when somebody says, you know, what, what do you do? The idea behind this entire show is to inspire people to think outside the box in how they can build a lifestyle, how they can build businesses or income, or just how they can carry themselves in everyday life. So mm -hmm. I've been really, really excited to speak with you. And since recently purchasing your book, The Meaning in the Making, it just all the more was like, okay, yeah, I definitely, definitely want to talk to this guy in the initial shows. That's so great. with that in mind of having this somewhat difficult to define lifestyle or job as we're, as we're discussing here by choice, and, and forgive me if this is just jumping right into it uh, too soon, but have you encountered any misunderstandings when people ask you about what you do or when you try to explain 
that you have these different avenues of what you do in life? And if so, what are those misunderstandings? Not really. I mean, I think I think what I do and the way I do it now is is far more common, certainly than it's ever been before. That's true. Um, people do tend to, especially freelancing. You know, I mean, I think the the advice that you hear over and over again out there for freelance is is to try diversify your income, diversify you know the work that you do, so you're not relying on one thing. So I think most people get it. Um, if I introduce myself to somebody new, I might just go, "I'm a photographer." you know, just to sort of make it easy. But then if they want mm -hmm. to talk more about it, I'll unpack it. And no one's really confused about that. I think everyone, I think everyone gets it. Um, maybe the only kind of misconception I've found is it's very difficult the minute you put YouTube in the mix, because I think, I think people are quite mystified by, by that as, as a way to make money or as a job. And understandably, I suppose, if you're not involved with it. But I think the immediate thing that comes to mind is, you know, teenagers playing games online or something, you know, for, for <laughs> videos and then throwing it out there and, and that not being a serious job. But I think the more you talk to people, and certainly when I kind of show them the videos I'm making and how I, I do try and make them, especially the little documentaries I make on other photographers, I try and make them proper documentaries, little short films. Yes. I think slowly people understand that there's different, there's a, there are different levels of something like YouTube. You can try and take it seriously as a filmmaker and put things out there that you, you really believe in and, and, and want to polish and, 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 and you want them to be deeper and meaning, more meaningful as well than most of the stuff that might go up on something like YouTube. That's something I often have to chat to people a little bit about if, if I use the word YouTube, because you immediately see people kind of glaze over and go, oh, he's not serious. <laughs> like he's not- Overcome the he's, stereotype. He's not a serious filmmaker or, or, or artist because like YouTube's just for fun. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I, I am, I'm glad that you pointed that out, actually. That's the kind of thing I was looking for. When I look at your work on YouTube especially, you do definitely present yourself and you speak with more of a conviction and passion than many other channels and vlogs that are out there. In fact, I'm not even sure, personally, I'm not sure that I would describe most of your videos as vlogs. I, I think documentaries is much more accurate. Mm. Um, many of the presentations you see are like a, you know, what's up guys, here's the cool thing I'm doing today. Whereas yours are definitely more, definitely almost philosophical mm -hmm. around art and creativity. Uh, which brings me to your book, The Meaning in the Making. How did you choose the name, The Meaning in the Making for your book? Uh, it was just a process of elimination, I think. You know, I'd already started writing it but needed a title. And, and I, like, I like the idea of having a title earlier on uh, rather than doing it at the end, just because it kind of gave me that sort of top tier focus for what I was writing. So you sort of used the title to guide you in the writing of the book too, is that what you mean? Yeah, I, ne I needed like, what's the, you know, it's kind of like having the elevator pitch. What is this book about? Why are you bothering to write it? Because I could just have written a bunch of disparate stuff about creativity in general. Which is fine, but I but I wanted it I wanted it to have a progression to it, and I wanted it to lead to a punchline almost, like lead to a like this is the point, this is the depth to it, and I wanted to sort of progress through a bit of philosophy and then into some practical stuff to like some harder hitting stuff towards the end about why do we even bother doing this, and having that title gave me that direction, and even meant that. I, I wrote a chapter on meaning alone, which I might not have done, and certainly not, I certainly wouldn't have focused it the way that I did unless I had that title up front. So it gave me somewhere to go to, and I, I knew whether I succeeded or failed based on how well I, I, I answered the question set up in the title. So having that title earlier on uh, was important, and there are a few contenders, but you know that was the one that kind of. That was the one that kind of stuck out. And obviously there's the double meaning in it, you know, the meaning in the things that we make, but also the meaning in the making, as in that meaning is always in the making. There's a process to it. It's always ongoing mm -hmm. um, and part of the journey. So that's kind of where that came from. So how long had you thought of being a writer? How long had you thought of, I'd like to write a book before this actually came to fruition? Because I know that you've been, working on this since at least 2020, if I'm not mistaken, but I don't know how much further back it went. 
Yeah, I kind of sketched out the idea for the book in 2018, I think, but it was literally just sitting, I was on a retreat in Iceland and sitting in a cabin while it was a storm outside and I just sketched out a rough outline for the book and then left it in my journal, like we often do, you know, lots of people do that. But then it was 2020, beginning of 2020, when a, a publisher approached me and said, do you have a book you want to do? I said, as it happens, yeah. And then we went into lockdown. Hmm. So I, it took me seven months to write it. And luckily, you know, it was at a time where we had to stay home anyway. So it could give me focus. I, that's all I could do really was sit at home and write. But it's not, it's not the first book I've written. I actually wrote a book over a decade ago. Really? When I left the church uh, about my time in the church and why I wasn't going back and thoughts about the journey I had with working in institutional church in South Africa. So it's, it's not that it was a, f- a first run at something like this. I knew I could write a book because I, 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 I think a lot of writing about, I mean, whether or not it's good or bad is for other people to decide, but I knew I had the self-discipline to write and produce a book because I'd already done it a long time ago. So, and it's, it's not even that I consider, I mean, I, I suppose you're an author if you publish a book, right? But it's not even like I consider myself an author it's like i know i know authors like i think of like stephen king or neil gaiman they're authors like i would never put myself in that category but i guess it was just about having the discipline to plug away at this thing and put it out there the way that i wanted to put it out and make sure that the message was the one that i intended and yeah i'm 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 proud of it as it stands it's good yeah i actually purchased the i'm i'm more of an auditory learner myself so i purchased it as an audiobook and i've been enjoying listening through it I'm currently on the chapter called uh, Voice. Mm-hmm. Great. So, and I like how you named the chapters too. It's very. It, I, I was not expecting. Well, I don't. I don't want that to sound insulting, but I, I was not prepared for such rich content. Oh, I uh, well, yeah. I, I mean that as a as a full blown compliment. It's interesting that someone like yourself could have continued to make an income, make a lifestyle only with photography and YouTube. And as you just said, you already had experience as a writer, but you had you have so much content already out on why you value art and creativity and encouraging others to pursue it and, and thoughts behind it. Why also make a book? Were there limitations that you were finding with the other mediums? Yeah, certainly. I mean, there's only so much you can say in a, you know, 10 to 15 minute video on YouTube. You've you've got people's attention spans to worry about. I can't tell stories the way I want to tell them at the depth I want to tell them. You just can't hold people for that length of time on a platform like that. So yeah, there were there were always videos where I was dipping my toe into a topic where I I felt like there's so much more to say here, but I can't do it in this format. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. That I guess the book was almost a necessity for me to put things down the way that I wanted to say them without compromise at the depth I wanted to say them and, you know, leave it in the world. If, if I die tomorrow, it still exists. You know, that, would, that just felt like an important legacy thing to do. So that's kind of where the impulse came from, for sure. Okay. I like that. So I wanted to get into... Since it's you specifically, I wanted most of this talk to be around creativity, uh, since the purpose of this is to basically inspire people to think more creatively, not just in artistic forms, but just in how to build lifestyles and looking at their own circumstances and, and asking questions like, what, what if I added this? Or what if I took this part of my life out? Or what if I changed this? And what would you say to people who claim that they're not creative or artistic, that it's just not in them? I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know why people say that. Maybe it might be just a, a limited understanding of what creativity is. Well, maybe a better question would be then what, and this, again, if you really want to get into this, read Sean's book, but... What would you say creativity is then? Uh, the way I describe it in the book is, is creating order out of chaos. If you've got this idea that, uh, you know, there is order in chaos, things, things work a particular way. Life itself is order against chaos. And, you know, whether you're a religious person who believes that 
you know, ultimately this all ends in Armageddon or Ragnarok and ultimate chaos. So you're a, you're a scientist who believes in the second law of thermodynamics and it all ends in entropy. We move into greater states of disorder over time. I reckon human beings have a drive to order the chaos in the little ways we can throughout our lives. And we all choose different ways to do that. So uh, yeah, I, I think that that's where that almost kind of built-in drive comes from. And to people who say, I'm not a creative person, I, I'm pretty sure I could find a way you are. I mean, it might be, it might be somebody who says, oh, I, I'm just not really creative because I, you know, I can't draw, or I, I, I can't take photographs, I'm just not really talented like that. And then they go into the kitchen and bake something amazing. I'm like, you are. You just don't think that's creativity as well. But you, in your little way, just like me in my little way, you're, 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 you're creating a little bit of order from the chaos and sharing it with other people. I think that is ultimately what creativity is on the top shelf. And, and I think we all find ways to do that. I, I, would, I would suggest that there's forms of mathematics that are creativity, but you'll probably find lots of people who are engaged in math going, yeah, I'm more mathematical, I'm not very creative. But I bet you there are ways that maths has to get creative at times. I think it's just a, maybe a small or too small definition of what creativity actually is. It has to be engaged in one of the more traditional arts to call it creativity. But I, I reckon it's much wider than that. Yeah, your description of creativity being bringing order out of chaos, it was the first time that I had heard somebody describe it that way. But it may be the most accurate way I've heard it described. Yeah, I really liked the way you worded that. Another thing that you spoke about in your book, and I'm not going to basically make this the interview version, commentary version of your entire book, partially because I have yet to finish it. <laughs> but one concept that I had not heard before, and I'd love to hear further thoughts about it, is specifically with art. You had said that art in its best form always represents truth which intrigued me because I have seen many, many people who claim to be artists or claim to be creating great art, and they are creating things that are not true. They don't reflect reality. They don't reflect true circumstances. They may be a fantasy, or worse, they may be a lie. They, they may actually be attempting to deceive the viewer into thinking that something is true or that that they should believe something that the artist believes, regardless of what the viewer believes. Can you go into a little bit more depth about how about what you what's the meaning behind that idea that art must reflect truth in its truest form? Yeah, I mean the the way I describe it in the book is is you know under this umbrella word logos, which which is a is a theological word I picked up when studying in seminary. To work for the church and and it's this idea that it basically goes back to and again like i mean i don't i don't necessarily take scripture literally or anything like that but i think there's things to take out of these stories uh, from scripture and that are in our culture there's this idea in genesis of of god however you perceive god making everything that we know creating everything we know by speaking a word now i again like it's it's not i i don't think for a second that's meant to be taken literally it's a it's a word picture but I like the idea that something true is said and things are made from that. And, and I like the idea that as, as human beings who create, I think the best way to create is to speak true things in the things that we make. And that can be done very literally or, or, or figuratively. But it's, it's how, how real is what we're saying? How, how true is it based on how we perceive life the universe and everything. And that doesn't mean that we have to only make nice things. Sometimes it's describing the darkness. There's a truth in that as well, you know, as much as describing the light. There's there's both ends of it. I'm trying to think of a, I guess the best example would be, because I'm a photographer, I see too many photographers, especially when they start out, trying to work out how to make images to post on something like Instagram because they're trying to reverse hack the popularity algorithm. Mm. They're trying to work out what images can I make and share here that will get me attention. So I'm looking for what else gets attention and I'm gonna copy and paste that in my own work as closely as possible in the hopes that I also get attention for that work. I don't think there's a lot of truth in that. 
And I don't think that's a long-term game. And I think instead, if they, as photographers said, hang on a minute, instead of doing that, who am I? Uh, what's my worldview? What do I see in the world that needs attention? What do I care about? What's my aesthetic? Not what's popular. What's my aesthetic? What do I like? Do I like contrast or lack of contrast? Black and white? Do I like color? Do I like particular colors in my image? Who, that something that comes out of me genuinely because it's my aesthetic and my message that I believe needs to be represented more in the world, that has a lot more truth to it. And then of course we can dig deeper and go, do I wanna say something specific in my work because I've experienced something, because I've seen something? And whether or not everyone else agrees with me, this is genuinely something I've felt or experienced. There's a truth to that that we can share with the world as well that I think has more gravitas to it. And I, I reckon that's a journey every artist needs to take, trying to work out how do we say things that are as true as possible, have as much integrity to them as possible, instead of making things because we're hoping it pleases the crowd, and but it doesn't have much connection to us or anything we believe. That is an excellent answer. That's exactly what I was hoping for. It actually answers the next thing I wanted to ask you, which would be what, an, what is an example of someone who's not making art that's truth? So I'm glad that you went right into that as well. Yeah, no worries. I feel a little bit put down as an interviewer. I could just let you go. <laughs> <laughs> so let's move forward with talking a bit more about maybe how somebody can build more of this into their life. Like maybe somebody here is listening and they want to do something similar. You know, they want to have more of whatever their creativity and art form is, be it baking or writing or photography or what, and whatnot. With with you being someone who has built a lifestyle around this, what does it look like now? Like what, what does a typical day look like for Sean Tucker, who does filming, photography, writing, and whatnot? It, it varies from week to week. I think that's the thing about freelancing is you don't have a standard day. You know, there's a lot of admin around everything as normal, you know, answering emails and that kind of thing, planning things that are coming up. There's writing involved in, in any given week because I, I do script out the videos that I do. I don't, I don't read from that script or use it word for word, but I write everything out to make sure that I'm, when I do talk about the stuff that it's worth talking about, it's worth 15 minutes of someone's time. So there's writing involved. Uh, filming obviously has to happen at some point, and that might just be me sitting on a sofa. It might be me traveling somewhere to go and film with somebody else. So that depends and involves some travel too. Obviously editing will take a few days. So that sort of builds into a two week cycle for me as well. And then planning to get out and take my own images as well to go into the book. So depending on the weather and what's going on and where I want to be, I'm keeping an eye on that and would set aside whole days to go and travel somewhere and, and uh, create, a, create a set of images as well. Um, and then, you know, things like this, doing interviews or going and doing talks is also kind of the promotional side of, of things as well that I've got to keep in mind that I'm not just talking to my own audience, but I'm also talking to other people and their audiences to, to make them aware of, you know, the book and the channel as well. I think marketing comes into to anything like this as well. So in the mix mm -hmm. of all those things, that's kind of a, a normal day, but it's again, like it, that, that some of those things happen on one day and some of them happen on other days. It just depends kind of which part of that, roughly two week cycle is going on. Yeah, I've I've experienced that with freelancing as well. And for me, I've I've also had days where it almost feels like I wasn't doing anything or like I didn't make an appropriate amount of progress. Have you experienced that? Oh, yeah, always. I mean, I've Okay, good. I was really scared that you were going to say no. I feel like I make progress every day and you're a freak for <laughs> No, no. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I always make some progress every day, but I don't make as much as I'd like. I mean, it just sometimes you just come up against things or things don't happen as easily as you you would have hoped they did and you need to spend more time on something and sometimes things work faster than you thought and it it goes really smoothly. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of like adaptation that has to go on. I think I'm very careful to leave too much time for every task so that it's got time to go badly and I can recover. Mm. Um, so I try and pad things out a bit. That's yeah. a good tip right there. Yeah. Plan for more time than, than it should take. Yeah, and I think that goes for not taking on too much. When I, when I began my YouTube channel, I only promised 
my audience one video a month. It still sits in my channel trailer. I only will do one video a month. And the reason for that was I was never going to get caught in the trap of like some of my fellow YouTubers who, who do two videos a week or something. I mean, I just, I don't have two interesting things every week to say. I just don't. <laughs> and I, I don't want to stretch a little bit of content a long way to fulfill a YouTube schedule. So I made the deal with myself that I would do less and I'd do it better uh, rather than do more and have to stretch it thinly. And that just meant that I all, I mean, there is no month that I don't have the time to produce at least one video. So that was a no excuse schedule to give myself. And since then I've pretty much posted two videos every month, but I don't promise that. That's so I can, I can duck out of that if I feel like it or need to give something else time. But having that wiggle room is very important. Do you think that's allowed you to stay more motivated to continue creating them too? It's just made me feel more in control of it, that I'm not compromising it, which I think, yeah, it does then link to motivation. I think if I felt like I was watering everything down, I'd become less proud of it over time and then would feel less motivated to engage with it. But, you know, feeling like everything I put out there, by and large, I mean, there's better videos and worse videos in my mind, but by and large, I'm happy with the quality. It, that keeps me motivated to keep wanting to do it because I'm proud of the work. But I think if I did stretch it thinly, I wouldn't be as proud of the work and then I would struggle to keep wanting to, you know, carry on making the stuff I'm making, I reckon. At this point, is all of the work that you do, photography, filming, and writing and whatnot, for your, your business? Or do you have some projects that you do that are purposely never to be seen? I, I take a lot of images no one sees, for sure. Um, but it's more... They're less projects and they're more experiments to teach me things because I think it's really important to be experimenting and pushing yourself behind the scenes and trying out new things. So it's developing me as an artist and as a person and it's not work that I'm proud enough to share with the world, although I do share a lot, but it's more self-development stuff. So there is that. I, I am working on a couple of photography projects that no one's seen, but the reason for that is to release it in a year or two or three when it's when it's reached a volume and I can actually release it as an entire piece of work mm. but that is destined to become something it's not to hide it from everybody forever well maybe this would be a better question then because I'm sure there's days where you don't have the motivation I mean that that happens to everybody right mm -hmm. and I know this is in your book as well and feel free to refer back to it your advice or your own experience in in how to re-inspire yourself or how to rekindle a creativity or at least to not lose the motivation to be creative. So you t you, you're asking about inspiration particularly. The way I talk about that in the book is to, to break the word down. You know, inspiration comes from the same place our word respiration comes from. It's about breathing. That's where it comes from. And it was this idea of being breathed into, inspired, inspiration. And it was, it's, it's obviously an ancient concept. It's just being breathed into by the divine or by the muses or whatever. And I think making space to draw in that creative breath is really, really important. So I, examples I use in the book are, you know, just go for a walk is, is a great way to get back some inspiration. Go and read a book, take some time out, do something completely different. Because I, I have a, a theory that when we're struggling for ideas, we're often sitting there racking our brains to try and force an idea to come out. And we're trying to force it down the same conscious channel and we're hitting a wall. And it's like if we, if we have any problem in our daily life, you know, we, we sit there and we can't, we can't work it out. We can't understand it and, and nothing's happening. And you might find that sometimes you, you just give up because you're so frustrated and then you go on a walk and you're not thinking about it and then suddenly the answer's there. I think that is, when you turn off your conscious mind and let your subconscious mind go to work, because I think our subconscious mind is much more creative and gets to move in much more subtle and interesting ways. And, and shutting down our conscious mind, it's why we get our best creative ideas when we're in the shower, because we're not really thinking about it. We, it just appears because our subconscious mind's at work. So it's how do we create that, what I call generative mental space? Without agenda, if you, if you go on a walk and you say, I'm going on a walk to get ideas, you're still in your conscious mind and you're trying to force something and you won't get one. But if you do regularly create space for yourself, I take a daily walk of at least an hour 
And I don't go to get ideas. I go because I know it's good for me to take that mental space myself. But by doing that, that's often where ideas just appear out of, out of habit and practice for creating that space. And that's how I try and keep myself kind of topped up with ideas and that inspiration. It's giving that space to be breathed into, however you view that. I mean, you might view it spiritually or mentally or whatever, but I like the picture of, of creating that space to be breathed into. And, and uh, the other way is to, to, you know, take in a lot of other people's art. And it doesn't have to be as a photographer that I only look at photographers, although I obviously do, but it's also, you know, watching films and learning from cinematography and reading books and, and poetry or going to galleries and looking at painters, whatever it is, take in a lot of other people's art. And that, I think inspiration can sort of come across by osmosis as you take in what other people have made and, and, and take cues from that as well as to why did they make this? Why do I like this? What's it about this aesthetic that I like that kind of starts to feed in? I mean, when I was writing the book, I would take regular breaks when I was kind of stuck, not knowing how to proceed with the next piece of the chapter or whatever. I go read a book, but I wouldn't read a book on creativity. I'd read something random, like a historical fiction novel or something. And I just found that by reading someone else's work um, and turning down my conscious mind that was trying to force that answer through, ideas would start to surface. So yeah, I, th I find that's a great way to use time. But again, you can't just go, oh, geez, I really need an idea. I'm going on a walk to get one. I don't think that's how it works. You have to make a regular practice of making that space for yourself without agenda so that you've, you're regularly full of, of ideas. It really intrigued me that you so expressly said that it, the, the point of taking the walk isn't to get ideas. And it really got me thinking like, oh, because I personally, I've been stuck in a point where I'm trying to solve problems, trying to think of ideas by figuratively sitting there and hitting myself in the forehead saying, you've got to solve the problem. You've got to solve the problem. And I had, you know, I've heard plenty of people say things like, you know, you got to relax. You got to let the ideas come to you, take a walk. But it's always, at least for me, most of that has been presented as like, that is how you are going to get the ideas as in like, go out where it's quiet so that you can think about how to solve the problem. And proposing, proposing yeah. it is almost the reverse of that. Like, no, you have to let, as you say, the unconscious part of your mind work and it only works in the void it only works in the silence and in the peace and so that that really got me thinking and i was fortunate to be listening to that portion of your book in the woods in a tent I so i was that. like oh i'm gonna just go out and walk in in the fog in the trees now <laughs> i think that i think that shift in mental space is important because if you if you are sitting at home racking your brain for an idea and then you go on a walk racking your brain for an idea how's that really different i mean the context is different and that's nice and maybe in that peaceful space you know you 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 manage to find those ideas but i, I don't think there's any promise in that I, I think anyone who says to you if you go on a walk you'll definitely get an idea when you need one is probably lying to you you're still putting think, the same pressure on yourself exactly you're not you're just changing the context you put your pressure on yourself in instead of saying I, th I think what they're hoping happens, which sometimes does, is by going on a walk, you do turn your conscious mind down because something takes your attention. But it's, I, I would suggest it's better to regularly be doing that and get into the habit of creating that mental space for yourself so that you, you practice that disconnecting of your conscious mind and you're always full of ideas instead of you only go when you need one as if it's a slot machine. I don't think that's how it works. I like that. So this segues nicely into the next thing I wanted to talk to you about. I've been very clear about the fact that I'm not hosting this podcast and recording these interviews because I view myself as any sort of authority on the topic. I'm doing it because I'm trying to edify myself. I want to talk to these people who have insight like what you have. So for people like me, one question that often comes up when I hear advice like this, like take walks regularly, take the pressure off, is there's a, there's a screaming voice that says, but you still have to get stuff done. You still have to be productive. So it's finding that balance is, is a challenge of being productive while not losing creativity, while not failing in your productivity as well. So can we, can we talk about that a bit too? And I don't, so this is not a question of 
how would you suggest someone stay creative, nor is it a question of, do you have any productivity advice? It's how, do you, how have you found to best keep your creativity up while keeping productivity in mind? Is there a way that those can be kind of married or are they just two things that have to be addressed separately? I'm hoping that they don't. I think it's about balance, isn't it? And, and that balance is very specific to your personality. I mean, I'll say for me, my personality, I, I'm very hard on myself and I'm a perfectionist. So I struggle to make the space for myself. That's my struggle. On, on the productive side, I don't struggle with that. I, I bully myself and I know that. So I need to bring the balance on the other side of that and keep making the space for myself because I know that's where the balance needs to be. A lazier personality type, for example, or someone who's avoidant might be going, well, yeah, I was told once that I should just go and go on long walks and take space for myself and navel gaze, and that's how I'm going to be creative, and they never make anything. Their particular balance needs to come on the other end. They need to start getting more disciplined and set time to create and make sure that they're actually producing work and not just thinking about it. I think it, it to, give, to give advice that works for everybody is impossible. You have to work out where your lack of balance is and which side of that fence you fall on. I mean, I have friends who make things that are very, very different to me. They do struggle with the, oh no, I need to stop sitting and thinking about things and having ideas and actually start to put some of these things into practice. They have the opposite problem to me. But it's about making sure that on both ends of that, you are being responsible. And, and, and how much that balance is, I can't tell you. You know, how many hours you need to do one thing or another thing. You have to find what balance works for you, but finding that balance is the important thing. That's a very good answer. It sounds like there's a connection that you see between creativity and productivity. Like you said, it's, it's a balance, but I, I, would, I would almost see you saying that one feeds the other too. And if you only focus on one, they, then that side isn't being fed. Like if you're making space to be more creative and only doing that, then you're never gonna be productive. But if you're only focusing on productivity, you'll never be inspired to be creative. Well, I mean, I, I would put creativity and productivity. I mean, when I'm being productive, I'm making things. So for me, those two are synonymous. But I, I, think, what, ah. I think what you're saying is like getting inspired and then actually making the work or trying to find the ideas and actually going through and making the creative work that you're doing. It's, it's all part of a whole for me. It's just making sure that you've got all the pieces in place. So you wouldn't and, view them as two separate... No, because, I mean, well, in, in my case, when you say productivity, that would be me making a video, which is one of the most creative things I do. So it's not separate to creativity at all. When I'm being productive, it is creativity. Hmm. That's actually intriguing me. Well, I'm, a, I'm an artist, them as right? Uh, so, so, so if an artist is being productive, how is that not them being creative? They're making That's things, a good point. Right. So for me, they're, they're synonymous. They're the same thing. As if an artist is being productive, that's when they're making things. If they are out of ideas, maybe they need to go off and, and think and get inspired again and come back to being productive slash creative in, in, in tangible sense, in a, in a real sense. I wonder where I got that idea then. That, uh, so explain, explain what you mean. So you, you, when, you think, when you say productivity and creativity are separate, what, what do you mean by that? Well... In my mind, I may have an idea to, say, start a podcast about interviewing people like yourself. Mm -hmm. And the ideas and the questions that I'd like to have answered that come to mind, that's the creativity part. The, uh, like, imagining what I would like to hear when listening back to those podcasts. Mm -hmm. The productivity portion is... In my mind, it's the, I'm sitting down and I'm editing and I'm emailing people saying, hey, would you like to be a guest? And for me, I, I just, and, and maybe I have the wrong view of this. I'm very open to that, but I haven't viewed that as being creative. I've viewed that as like managing the task. Like maybe- well, let me, uh, let me well, go ahead. Forgive me for flipping your interview. I'm interested in this. So, so I'm actually so, interested in, in the way you're flipping the interview. So go right ahead. Yeah, right, right. So, so, so when you're doing this podcast now and you're asking me questions, you don't feel like we're creating something together. This is productivity now. Because for me, this is creativity too. 
And when you're sitting later and you're editing this interview and you're deciding which portions to use and which portions not, and you're trying to make sure that it all makes sense and you're uploading it and you're designing your thumbnail, that's not creativity for you, that's productivity. Is that right? Well, I'm saying that's where my mind has been on it. If, if you bring it out in the cold light of day, how does that feel to you? Well, uh, right now it, it feels a little revealing. <laughs> Makes me feel a little bit vulnerable. Wasn't quite expecting that to happen on this interview. But <laughs> uh -huh. Now I'm just interested what you think of, I mean, we, a lot of this is semantics, you know, it's just, it's just labels we apply to things, but I think sometimes it betrays how we feel about something. And I think a lot of us feel like creativity is fun, but productivity is work. Well, that that's actually, I think, what, what I was going to try to next answer your question was, I guess, when I if I feel like I'm enjoying something, then it must be creative, and when it's when it's difficult, it must be productive. That's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I I I I find a lot of the creative things I make very hard work, but I find a lot of the creative things I do as well equally a lot of fun. But they're all creative and they're all productive because I'm an artist; it's my job to do that stuff. But I I don't I don't draw a line and 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 label each side because it's all creativity. So for example, when I'm shooting a video, I hate sitting in front of a camera and talking. I don't, I don't enjoy it, but that's part of the creative process for me. It's where I get to decide what intonation or inflection I use on a particular line that is trying to communicate something. So even though I know it's my job, I have to do it, doing that is creativity. It's not productivity. When I edit it, that's, you know, it feels like a slog sometimes. So you, you, you might, from your point of view, say, well, that's productivity. But I'm also aware that bringing in the music and timing the cuts and choosing the B-roll and which sections I use to speak with, I'm making something in that process. I couldn't be more creative in that quote-unquote productivity. It's, it's one and the same for me. Well, now you've got me thinking and rethinking a lot of things. Cool. Because <laughs> I've, I've, I've never really thought of... Um, I mean, I'll I'll just put this out there as a because I, I do photography. I, I think I already told you that my main income right now is wedding photography, mm -hmm. and people have said, you know, oh, you're you're so artistic, you're creative, and I've disagreed with them, and I've said I have chosen the most mechanical, tangible, mathematical form of of art that I can think of. I mean, I create images by calculating correct correct numbers for exposures and analyzing light like I, the way i the way i take pictures is very analytical and i do find a huge amount of satisfaction in it but i just i just didn't think of it as artistic because of how mechanical it was but you're just you're just listing the things that are the technical side of the work that you do as a creative person but you also have to choose the light you also have to read moments at a wedding and work out what you want to capture and how you want to capture it. And when you're sequencing the images that you're going to hand over to a client and putting them together in a book, you're putting them together in a way that makes a story. Yes, it involves choosing shutter speed and aperture and ISO as you go and all, all the technical side that goes with photography. But I don't think you can claim there's not a ton of creativity that has to go into it if you do a good job, right? I do... I'm not going to argue that. Like I said, you're making me rethink some things here. Let me ask you this. Would you say that, okay, here's a broad question. Would you say that as human beings, is there a way to have any sort of productivity that's not creative? Is there a well, pure form of productivity? Yeah, I mean, I, I have a... I have a category in my head that's productivity, not creativity, but it's limited to things like answering emails and you know logging accounts on a spreadsheet and 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 doing taxes and those kind of things that for me is not very creative it's 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 administrative work i have to do and that's productivity i have to do it i have to answer emails and all that stuff but but that's not part of the art that i put out into the world so that's that's where productivity is in and again like you know we all apply words to these things and our categories are different but for me that's where mindsets hmm and that's not to say that like with the, with the work that I create, I don't count that as me being productive. It is, but it's also very creative. If I go out and shoot a bunch of images and put them in a book and try to sell that book, that's me creating something. 
but it's also me being productive, right, as an artist. Um, okay, I, so do you do you think there's a way to be purely creative while not being concerned with productivity? It's absolutely. just creativity. So that, yeah, that would be the days I give myself permission to go out and just take images that I know won't go into a book, but I'm just trying something new. That's me being very creative but not productive. Those images aren't going towards a body of work that I need to show the world or make any money off. It's just for me being purely creative to learn something new. So that I would say, yeah, is, is creativity, not productivity. Well, doggone it, Sean. Now I'm here just like thinking and not paying attention to my questions that I'm supposed to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. No, I uh, was cool. and not expecting the interview to flip, but uh, that's sorry, interesting. <laughs> no, don't apologize for it. I think that this is what I'm going to be enjoying listening back on more than once. But I think I think what you what the way you're thinking I think is the way a lot of people think. It's you're, you're not alone. I think a lot of people do that. But when you divide up your life in such neat categories, and you're also taking things out of the creativity box to put them in the productivity, I think it can rob the joy of it for you in some way. Like I I I think a lot of people might listen to this and be surprised that as a wedding photographer you don't allow yourself to consider that creative work when I'm sure that your clients think of it as creative work, but for some reason it's been recategorized for you. And maybe if you kept put it back and go, hey, this is me being productive because it's my job, but it's full of creativity. It is only creativity in doing it. Yes, it involves some technical aspects, but I'm making work that goes into someone's wedding album that sits on their shelf that they pull down and show family members because you've told their story and they get to cry and go, this was such an amazing day and we're celebrating our relationship. That is incredibly creative work, not just a technical productivity exercise. Well, I do have a habit of uh, seeing things a little bit more black and white than they should be. And, mm -hmm. you know, there, there really is more of a, when looking at your, your, your personhood, your things like not just art and creativity and productivity, your, your emotional state, your bodily state, everything is integrated and maybe productivity and creativity is, should be viewed that way too. Mm. Well, that got deep. <laughs> Boy, I've only got you for a little bit longer, Sean. So I'm going to ask you another question so that I can let you go, and my head is going to keep spinning on the things you've told me. But <laughs> cool. Wow. Okay. What? <laughs> I'm so stuck now because I'm just like thinking about this, and I'm now I'm now distracted about it. That's I'm going to try to I'm going to try to bring it back though. So. In, in coming to the conclusion of this episode here, regarding your, your views on creativity and art and productivity and everything that we've talked about, what is a message that you wish that everyone on earth would get in them every day? And you can take a minute for that one if you need. I mean, that's a massive question. It is. I mean, I... I it changes all the time. I, I mean, and there's a lot of different things I could say to that, I guess. One might be that I wish that people would understand that who they are is their responsibility that comes from their choices. And they have more agency than they realize. Like, I, I, I understand the world's hard on all of us, and lots of things happen to us that aren't our fault that shape us. But I've just, I've met so many people who have been through incredibly difficult stuff that they chose not to let them shape in bad ways, but chose to use it in good ways. And there's a chapter in the, in the book where I talk about embracing your shadows, the shadows you pass through. And folding them into your story because shadows help us tell a better story in an image if it was if, if a frame was just light it would just be a white piece of paper you need the shadows to shape the light in photography and in our stories mm. and i feel like i feel like too many people it's it's become a very it's become almost a trendy thing these days to to victimize yourself and act like life happens to you and i think it turns us into people who don't make enough of who we are and don't give much back because we don't take responsibility for who we are and, and building ourselves and shaping ourselves. Like you have, you don't know how many years 
to work on yourself as a project, to try and make yourself into the best version of yourself that you can be with, with a thousand brave decisions, one after another, all of which will be uncomfortable. If you don't take that journey for yourself, you'll be much less than you could have been. And, and too many of us, I think, sit back and act like life is happening to us and we could do nothing else. Taking more personal responsibility for who we are and working on ourselves as a project, I think is that, that self-development stuff, strapping on more self-awareness about ourselves, is something I've got a big bee in my bonnet about these days. So I reckon mm -hmm. that's, that's probably quite a big one. I think that is a fantastic answer to that question. I appreciate you taking on the challenge of taking such a broad question Why and not just being like, that one's too hard. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, I, I know I've got a, a few more minutes with you, but honestly, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm spinning now. <laughs> um, my gosh, are you, are you always this much of a challenge to interview on things like this? <laughs> um, probably. <laughs> good for you. I think it's a, I think it's a good quality. <laughs> cool. Well, this is this has been excellent, Sean. I, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me, especially because this is a new show. Um, I, I consider it a great favor from you. No worries, man. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you, listeners, for tuning into this episode of the podcast. To learn more about Sean Tucker, visit his website, seantucker.photography. You can also purchase his book, The Meaning in the Making, at his site as either a printed book or an audiobook. And if you're at all interested in having more creativity in your life, this is very much worth the read. You can also find Sean on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and I, of course, highly recommend exploring his YouTube videos. Thank you for listening, and please join me for the next story in the Creative Success Podcast.